Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Long Story Short. I'm Kate Midden-Wathen and you know we did call this inside the Asian Development Bank because we are actually inside the Asian Development Bank. It's a little bit after 8 so people are starting to file out so pardon any noise. But we are here on site this week with Jenny Lee Ravello, our correspondent based in Manila. Jenny, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. And we wanted to spend this week's show talking a bit about emerging themes in Asia's development, what we're hearing here at the Asian Development Bank's annual meetings. It's our 51st. Um, but as we like to do on the show, we want to start with a bit of an icebreaker. This will be a quicker one. But Jenny, could you start by telling us a fun fact about yourself? Yes. <laughs> well, um, I have two fur babies. So I have um, one she two and um, one stray cat. Excellent. <laughs> I feel like we know more about you already. <laughs> and then the second question, which is an icebreaker, or excuse me, which is a superlative. We were talking earlier about how basketball is an extremely uh, popular sport it in is. the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So I want to know who you think could just lead a basketball team to victory, like completely sweep. Which Asian Development Bank, or actually which multilateral development bank president? Is it Jim Kim? Is it President Macau? Who, who would it be? Hmm. Right now, because we're at ADV, <laughs> I can think of President Macau because he's tall, you know, and with basketball, height is also a factor, although not always the case, but yeah. height is a factor. So I can think of him as being able to lead the team into championship. Yeah, he's very, you know, put together and yes. you know, calm mm -hmm. in front of everyone. He did a press conference earlier today, which we'll talk about in a little bit, yes. but I could see him just turning it on on the court. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know what the, yeah, yeah, probably we'll go, we'll go with him. <laughs> so let's start by talking about kind of the elephant in the room here at the meetings, which is China. You know, we just had the World Bank meetings last week, and there was a lot of talk about donorship to China. You know, some of those questions still persist with the Asian Development Bank. What are you hearing about this conversation? Can you kind of give a primer on what that looks like? Yeah, it's interesting to hear, you know, China being talked about. We hear earlier about the, at the press conference, um, President Nakao is being asked how, how ADB plans to work with China going forward, especially because China, as an upper middle income country, is increasingly um, a lender. You know, they've just um, set up, um, announced setting up their own uh, foreign aid agency. So, where is that leading China, and how can um, institutions like ADB uh, work with them forward? Will they be, will they continue to be a borrower, or will they continue, will, will, will they be? Um, co-financing more with, with, with banks, right? Because mm, there seems to be a sense that China would be okay on its own without yes. ADB funding, mm -hmm. but I feel like we're hearing a lot about the Asian Development Bank not just as a financial partner, sure. but also as a knowledge, knowledge partner. partner yes. what, is, what does that mean? Well, we hear President Nakao said earlier, I want to continue working with China. And he says, you know, it's not just a, they're not just a, Financing bank. They're also combining their expertise because, um, you know, they've celebrated their 50. It's their 51st anniversary today, this year. So, um, the bank has accumulated a lot of um, knowledge within, and um, we're seeing that increasingly. For example, in the area of um, aging, 
Um, some of the projects that I'm hearing earlier about um, elderly is focused on China. So you see that maybe China is not increased, does not meet, um, it, you know, com relatively compared with other countries in Asia Pacific, may not need that a lot of financing because it has its own financing, you know, for, for its own projects. But, um, you know, it, 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 um, it can seek, um, you know, knowledge from banks like ADB, you know, how can we do, do these policies to help our own um, population, especially that China um, has is has one of the um, most rapidly aging societies in Asia Pacific. I mean, that's a great segue into mm -hmm. one of the core conversations happening here at the ADB meetings is aging. You know, aging Asia is kind of how it's been characterized. Um, there was an expert today who was talking about how we felt the number one kind of development. Um, challenge is dementia. He was talking specifically about Japan. There's a lot of back and forth about, you know, it's easy to say aging Asia, but not every country is having the same yes. challenges. Um, you know, how how is China kind of opening the door to that conversation? And then how does it compare to somewhere, um, some of the other Southeast Asian countries that might not be experiencing such an aging Crisis. Yes. One of the things, I mean, there's a lot of talk on elderly care, right, and aging here at the at the um, 51st annual meeting of ADB. What is What first thing to note is that not all of the countries in Asia Pacific are, are at, at that stage wherein, you know, they're they're increasingly having to deal with an aging population. I guess, I guess we should also know that we're kind of bearing the lead here that something that's come out is that between 2020 and 2040, the senior population of Asia is expected to double. Yeah. So that's kind of the umbrella under yeah. which all these yes. conversations uh -huh. are happening. Yep. Um, but then, you know, I think um, talking about aging, one of the things that kind of interested me is that people always think when we talk about aging and elderly, it's always about, it's like a burden. Um, you know, we have to talk about how to take care of our elderly. We have to like seek um, how can governments open up fiscal space for this. Um, but, there are all, but there are also very, but the, there are also very interesting discussions earlier about not looking at this as a burden to countries, but as also creating opportunities. Um, I'm hearing earlier, for example, and you mentioned how China is open up, opening up the conversation on this. There are, uh, and, and, other, and, other, um, and other countries like, for example, Singapore, where um, they're, um, they're some of the youth population are seeing opportunities in terms of linking those who need assistance through um, digital, uh, mobile health. So. Um, there are opportunities there wherein a, a company, for example, could see um, um, an opportunity in uh, training nurses, for example, who will then take care of the elderly in their, in their country. So um, I think it's a conversation that's interesting because um, we have to look at our elderly as not as a burden but um, you know, the, there is an op there is um, a space there for us to to think more innovatively about this. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like there are so many different pieces to this conversation. I mean, earlier today, there was a big discussion about this very topic, and there was an expert who worked for the Social Security Center, I believe it's called, who said, you know, 60, aging isn't what it used to be. Like, 60 is the new 40. Like, just because you have this a big generation of people who are going to be turning 60, 65, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not productive. Yes. So it's just a different way of looking at it. I mean, on the other hand, there are the issues of things like dementia. Yes. And I think one, one question that I actually wanted to ask, but I think the, the, the panel um, sort of ended immediately, um, is um, what, you know, there, there are increasingly talks about jobs, right? The future of jobs. And what jobs, what's the future of jobs for the elderly? Because by turning 60 doesn't mean you, you're not capable of working anymore. And of course, um, you need also to gain employment for your own living expenses. So, um, you know, that's a question too that I would like to know is what, um, um, what, how can we help the elderly gain employment too and not just in the informal sector? Because mm -hmm. I've read somewhere like, there, um, you know, in Hong Kong, for example, there are cardboard boxes um, and this elderly women are, um, are, 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 are trying to make a living for themselves by joining the informal economy and that's not helping anyone. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, and even take the actual age out of this. I mean, earlier today we were hearing experts talk about how, you know, when you get a degree when you're 22, those skills just aren't really going to be relevant when you're 35. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about, you know, someone who is kind of in that range of, um, like, on the cusp of turning 60, thinking even if it's longer term about retirement, I mean, cultivating skills that kind of stay, yeah. that stay relevant mm -hmm. to a profession. I mean, have you heard specific... Um, ideas or or guidance about how people can start to think about closing that skills gap. Well, it's they always talk about lifelong learning, right? You, you, um, I mean, one of the interesting things that was mentioned in one of the panels is that governments shouldn't wait for 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 disruptive technology to come in before they start thinking about how to um, upskill their, their their population. Um, so, so that's one interesting thing. I mean, how you prepare um, as more of this AI or technology comes in to make sure that uh, to make sure that you're prepared to adapt to whatever is in the future. Um, but there's still a lot of questions, really, in terms of how, um, especially that you know, um, in, in one of the reports, there's talk about. Um, income inequality and uh, they're saying that a lot of the skills that are being um, that are being sort of dissolved by, by technology are the ones that are in the lower end of the like for example in the manufacturing sector um, yeah you did you did some recent reporting yeah I did I did some reporting about yes um, factory that just has no people yes and then you know but but for 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 jobs that require more cognitive skills and for for people who have you know who can invest in in in, in um, training and learning more and adapting to what's currently out there you know they can get, get ahead so we also need to think about um, the when we when we talk about jobs and then technology um, we shouldn't just talk about 
is it going to create opportunities or is it gonna dissolve jobs for a lot of people we also should think about how can we close the gap in the the potential gap in terms of income uh, between different um, members of society yeah and talking about income inequality is one thing but then also there's technology as something that could be either detrimental or an opportunity for jobs but there's also getting access to technology to learn how to use it and there's been some conversation as well about the inequality of access mm -hmm. to technology and yeah. how that could be even more detrimental as well. Yeah, like that's also one thing, yeah. yeah I mm -hmm. mean, do you see parallels kind of between those two conversations or do you see those as things that are parallel or that kind of intersect? Huh. Um, it can be both because if you, I mean, if, you, if you're not skilled enough, you're, how can you access, you know, access technology? If, if you don't have much education, how can you access technology? And you're, you're going to have difficulty in terms of, you know, accessing some of the more high-tech um, tools out there. So I think they sort of intersect. Yeah. Something else that feeds into this conversation in a different way is there's, there's a larger conversation, especially at the World Bank meetings, about human capital. The World Bank is going to come out with a human capital index where they're going to rank countries based on their investments. And earlier today, there were some ADB experts that were talking about um, the importance of ramping up investments in things like health and education. They didn't say specifically human capital investments, um, but how making those investments would be key to keeping people healthier, longer, more productive in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Interesting you mentioned about health, um, because we were just having a discussion earlier um, you know, um, because uh, in the development effectiveness review that we just, uh, there's a panel earlier and um, they're looking at health and it's, 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 it's off, their um, ADB is currently off track in terms of meeting their targets in health. Um, and, 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 and I ask um, you know, the specialist on, 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 on what's going on and um, it's just that, you know, a little backstory is that a few years ago, health kind of, fell off ADB's radar, um, but then they had this midterm review for the strategy 2020 wherein the, the board said that we should be including health in our priorities and so that's when they started to create an operational plan for health um, and and so they've also come out with the targets from you know to to increase their um, investments in health from three to three to five percent, but they're currently um, off track in that area. And but and I was asking um, uh, the the ADB official earlier, was it a good idea then to bring back health um, now that you're having this? A situation where you're off track your targets. It's <laughs> a gentle question. <laughs> it's like, hey, you don't have to make progress, and then it wasn't there. How yeah. do you feel about this decision? But, that you but made? he said, um, yeah, um, he said, but he, he gave a really, um, um, a really thoughtful, thoughtful answer. Um, in that, of course, they're just starting to get back on, on, on doing more of the health sector. So it will take time for them to get back in the, on, on, on that um, front. But they're increasing, but they're increasing their specialists on health. Um, they're constantly seeking opportunities to do more health projects with countries. I think they just, they just have to get out there and let 
countries know that, hey, we're also doing something on health, not just infrastructure lending. And so, you know, I, it's just about putting themselves out there and saying, yeah, we can partner on this front. I mean, my sense, just, you know, as someone who is not a huge expert in this, is that it's meaningful that they even have these numbers in this review process to benchmark. Because it feels like it would be kind of easy to say, oh, yeah, we're going to invest more in yeah. health, but then not necessarily take a deep look at the numbers. I mean, is that, is that right, or is that, is that not as meaningful as I'm making it as well? For me, I always look at it, um, for me, it's always about looking at the end result on the ground. Um, regardless what your targets are, are the... Are they um, impacting the people on the ground that you're trying to help? Are, are, is this making a meaningful? Is is this having um, a meaningful um, implications uh, for people? If you create those roads, um, you know that allow people to have access to more clinics and hospitals. Um, do you make sure that you know? five years, ten years down the line, that's still what's going on, or there may be other barriers that's happening already. Um, so, so that is always my vision when it comes to health um, assistance and how effective it is on the ground, yeah. As I, I think, um, but yeah, I think ADB is right in terms of um, um, bringing back health, in a sense, because there's a lot of calls right now for universal health coverage. It's like an overarching goal in the in the in the sustainable development goal. So if if they want to be part of, of that discussion then that's definitely the right thing mm -hmm. to do. And there was actually a big conversation today about ADB's progress on the SDGs where some of these things came up. Real quick, I do want to say for anyone who has just tuned in, I am Kate Midden-Wathen here with Jenny Lieberbello from the Asian Development Bank 51st Annual Meetings. If you have any questions, please feel free to drop them in the comments or tweet us at DevX. Um, so this, this review in the SDGs review, um, during the presentation today, they kind of cherry-picked a few different SDGs to really delve into. One of them that I do want to talk about it, or I do want to talk about, I love talking about women on this show, yes. <laughs> is their, the progress on gender equality. So, you know, we're sitting in this conference room and we're seeing this presentation and, um, you know, it was a fantastic ADB expert who was up there and he was talking about gender equality and how, oh, we are exactly on track to meet, you know, our targets. 35% of our Asian Development Bank staff is women. And I was like, what? Like 35? You're well on your way to your target. And then he's like, our target is 38% by 2020. And, you know, I, I understand, you know, hitting, hitting targets that you feel like you can actually achieve. Um, but that, that did seem a little low to me. You don't think it's ambitious? That's <laughs> ambitious enough? <laughs> I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel that ambitious. And, I don't, I, you know, maybe there's something to be said for being very, like, here's what we can achieve. But um, we've, we've had this conversation with some ADB officials um, and, and some ADB staff that I've had conversations with. Um, for years, um, first of all, and, and, and I hope I, we're, we're, we're t talking about the same numbers here <laughs> in the Development Effectiveness Review. Um, that is for um, women international staff and at what, ADB. Who is included in women international staff? 
So, well, most of ADB's actually work at headquarters. They have resident missions, but it's not it's not as you know you can't expect it to be as big. So most of that will be at headquarters. Um, the thing with ADB is that a lot of its national staff, um, and that's where the fifty nine percent comes in is women. So if you just look at that, then you'd say, oh, they're you know over they have a lot more women within the bank but what they're trying to do is increasing the number of women international staff within ADB and currently it's at that level 35% so 59 is national staff meaning um, for the total staff here for like total 59 staff, staff of that based in the Philippines 59 okay. of um, for some background for folks at home we were furiously <laughs> texting about this earlier because I just didn't understand so I'm so happy I had the opportunity to talk to you about it um, so 59 percent for national staff um, is there a separate metric I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but but that's what I do know that they're trying to get to 40, and I don't know why 30, it's 38 percent at a time. Maybe we need to, to talk to, to ask that question to ADB. But um, last time we spoke to one of um, ADB's officials, they're targeting to get uh, 40 percent women international staff by 2020. Yeah. So. 2020, 2022, something. So, so, so along those years. So, um, I think the 38 was 2020, and then 40 yeah. was 2022. Mm -hmm. They've been, they've, they've, they've introduced several initiatives to kind of attract um, more women international staff here. Um, I don't know. Maybe Manila is not exactly the maybe the very most attractive place to work in for a lot of them. I don't know. Um, but they've introduced, for example, flexible um, working time for, 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 for women. Um, they've, also, um, they've also introduced this policy wherein um, helping spouses of international staff get jobs here um, in the oh, So, so they're, they're, really, they're, they're trying to introduce these initiatives, but I think it's just really um, tough. Yeah, so taking very concrete steps. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, there was the there was the thirty-five and thirty-eight percent figure, and then we were also looking earlier at the leadership breakdown. Yes. And when you look at leadership in terms of the bank has six vice presidents, and then they have you know, the president, President Nakao, and two of those seven are women. Yes. So there's a little bit more gender parity that needs to happen Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> as, as in most institutions. And at the topmost yeah. institution. Because um, well, ADB has never had a women president in its entire existence. So, you know, well, similar with the UN, you know, that, that's been the call for, for in the recent elections. But it, Helen Clark, you were so close. <laughs> we're so close. Um, yeah, so that's also a question for ADB. I mean, when are we going to have a woman president at ADB? That is the question. Yes. So we don't have too much more time, but something else that I did want to touch on briefly, because I think we'd be remiss if we didn't, is the question of where things stand with ADB and the AIIB, the Asian uh, Infrastructure and Investment Bank. Investment and Infrastructure? Asian Infrastructure, 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 Infrastructure Bank. Investment Bank. Yeah. Um, it felt like a couple of years ago when the AIIB first came around, there was some 
you know, some kind of like stomping some of hooves, thinking, yeah. you know, what what is this new bank and what is its role going to be? What do you sense that tension now? Like, how have things kind of evolved? I'm not sure about tension, especially that we're running around, but. Um, I know there have been a lot of questions still, and um, until today, you know, the question is, you know, how are you, how do you see, I mean, to ADB, for example, how do you see EAI, BBC as a competition? Um, and I think the same question is being asked of EAIB, I mean, how do you see ADB? And the funny thing is, on the side of these two banks, you hear the same rhetoric, like, no, um, there's, um, no, um, we, 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 are, we are collaborating. There's a lot of room for collaboration. We're, they've actually done, um, if I remember correctly, um, co-financed four projects so far. Um, so, so, so they've been working together. But I think one of the questions that we need to be asking more is how can they collaborate better? So, so I would be interested to see how, how both banks, for example, could work on projects to make sure that these projects are following you know, uh, the proper environmental and social safeguards policy. That's something that I would like to see both banks, uh, to see how both banks would do that. Mm. I mean, it seems, it seems like there's a lot of hope for seeing that at some point in the future. I mean, as you said, kind of both camps have been talking, like, you know, like there, there's not any tension at all. I mean, earlier today in the press conference with President Nakao from ADB, you know, he was getting a little bit hounded about, about the AIB. Uh -huh. And, you know, for someone asked, like, you know, Fiji. Although he, he, he did say, like, they're not a threat to yes, us, right? Yes, yeah. So first, you know, someone said, well, if, you know, Fiji's hosting the annual meetings next year. You know, how do you feel about them also being members of AIB? AIB. And he's like, you know, most of our members are members of both. You know, it's fine. Like, you know, AIB is more like a bank. Like, we focus on infrastructure. We focus on all these other things. Yes. And then later on, another reporter asked Ask something about, about the AIB. Almost similar, yes. And, and he just thought out, goes, they are not a threat. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> let's let's like, just stop it there. The room, everyone in the room is like, OK. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, hopefully we've just heard nothing but collaborative words for both yes. sides. So I mean, even though, sure, those could be talking points, it still is definitely yeah, meaningful. That they are sticking to, for at least for this. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> meaningful that they have obviously come to this decision that we are going to be collaborative, not yeah. competitive. Mm -hmm. Any other big takeaways so far? I know we still have another couple full days of events and everything, but any big takeaways we haven't touched on yet? Big takeaways, huh? Well, We've talked. We've talked about, aging, about a lot of things China, already, and all of these are the like the main things coming out. But um, in the next few days, I'd be interested also. Um, you know, I'd be interested to to, 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 to hear more about strategy twenty thirty. Yeah. Um, you know, in some of the panels, they would touch on it uh, partly. You know, going forward, this is what we're going to do in strategy twenty thirty. But there's so far not yet a panel and i don't know if there's going to be a, a panel specifically adb officials just explaining you know this to us that this is uh, the draft strategy. of course this is a draft it's still in review there's a lot of consultations going on um but um you know explaining this is you know what's going to change um under this new strategy they've had discussions with Civil society. They're going to be have. A, they're going to have a discussion with uh, the governors uh, um, on Saturday. 
Um, but I would be interested just to hear, um, you know, what are um, participants' thoughts about the strategy. Yeah. Um, so we'll keep on top of yeah. that. I know today um, a Filipino official was pretty vocal about, you know, there are lots, a lot of good stuff in the strategy, but, but. here are three big things <laughs> that yes. you missed mm -hmm. that we really need. Um, so we'll be keeping on top of that. Actually, a great resource shameless plug. We are putting out a DevX at ADB newsletter. You can sign up if you just go to our Twitter. We've been promoting it. You can sign up there. But it's really an inside look about some of these things that we're talking about. Um, something we haven't touched on, but we do get into a bit of the newsletter is the role of civil society in these meetings yes. and kind of how vocal they have been. Um, but also definitely looking more deeply into the strategy, into aging, into all of these important conversations. So be sure to sign up, follow us on Twitter at DevX, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash DevX. And please follow Jenny, Jenny Lee underscore Ravello. Jenny Lee Ravello. Just, just Jenny Lee Ravello. Yes. Yes. So follow <laughs> her on Twitter for an update from the look inside the bank meetings. And thank you all so much for joining us. If you have any other questions, leave them in the comments or tweet them at us. Thank you. Thank you.